Quick reminder from last week, if you want to turn your Bible's book at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And uh, you should, if you were here last week, you're already familiar with what I'm doing with this. Job chapter 1. It says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven, He had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. We looked at this prior regarding the necessity to be alerted to the fact that do not confuse a spiritual heritage and training with an acceptance of that training and heritage, even from external evidence. And Job was here concerned that while his boys were doing a good thing, they were doing the right thing, they were feasting before the Lord, they were, they were sharing that with their siblings, and that there was no real reason externally to think that he was doing something wrong. What we find is that he was concerned about their heart. It might be that they're doing all these things externally because of peer pressure, because of trying to satisfy mom and dad, uh, dad particularly here. Uh, we always have a big question mark about mom because of her statement later on in the book. But, uh, and he was concerned about their heart. Maybe in their heart, while they're doing everything right externally, maybe in their heart, they are sinning against the Lord, and so he offers a sacrifice. Because, and the sin that he was concerned about was that they have sinned in the past and cursed God in their hearts. And this is, of course, a major concern for every parent that our child, even though being raised in a Christian home and with all the access and all the benefits of that uh, environment, uh, might still, in the end, decide in their hearts to curse God even while doing everything you think they should be doing on the outside. And that's why we want to study a little bit further tonight. We are working our way through the description of uh, how a child grows in the Bible and the four levels. Help me out. Let's see a little review. How are you doing? They should grow in wisdom. That's where it begins. And then in stature, in favor with God, and with men. These are the four areas even Jesus Christ is described as growing in, particularly. This is his four categories of growth um, in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and with men. And so we are in the third of the four categories, and we're pretty much going to, I'm going to be finished up tonight with what I have prepared, um, but I want to, as usual, at the end of tonight, we're going to give you opportunity to ask questions about the spiritual growth and parenting that you have, responsibilities you have, which I will then prepare and be ready to answer to you in two weeks, not in one week, because next uh, Lord's Day evening, we'll be having our business meeting communion service, okay? 
And so, and which is also, the Robertses are going to be sending off from there, right? Because they'll be heading off to um, Houston after that, that, that week, later that week. So, um, so we'll be having a couple weeks where I can really answer questions. So if the Roberts ask a question, we're going to have to Skype them in next Sunday night to get it, so, or two weeks from now. So uh, we have uh, that, and, and I try to pay some attention to your question and do some research, not just do things off the top of my head. So we're in the middle, and we're really toward the end of parenting a child spiritually. Uh, and remember that we're not talking primarily about salvation in this category of spiritual parenting. Um, that really fell under the category of growing in wisdom. And the, the fear of the Lord is being of wisdom. We looked at the whole nature of getting our ch- children to understand what sin is and its uh, insidiousness, what, how God hates it, and also that they should hate it and that they need a Savior to be delivered from it. That is the beginning of wisdom. And so growing in wisdom, we, we dealt with salvation there, that that is the appropriate category in our thinking. And does that have spiritual connotations? Certainly it does. <laughs> you, you don't, uh, I'm not so foolish to think that salvation isn't a spiritual matter. It certainly is. But when we talk about growing in favor with God, remember the biblical concept of being in favor with God is about pleasing God which is something you earn. Salvation is not something you earn or deserve. It is by God's grace and his mercy. And so when we come to earning God's favor, that term is used, or the idea of favor is something you gain. You earn that. And it is through a spiritual walk that is pleasing to God. And so it's a very different word than grace or mercy. It's this favor uh, and uh, we looked at several examples of that. So we're now we've worked through discipline. Uh, we've looked, well, we talked about instruction. We've talked about authority. We've talked about last week about provision. And in the midst of dealing with instruction and authority, we talked about and provision. We talked about example. And so in our in our acrostic D I A P E R um, diaper, the diaper acrostic we're using to teach this, um, we are at the R. So we're at the recognizing rebellion. And what do we do with that, with rebellion, spiritual rebellion in our children? And this one's a little bit trickier um, because rebellion can be hidden. And that's what Job was concerned about, that they were cursing God in their hearts even while they were complying externally. And so he was offering sacrifices as their priest. Remember, this is before the Mosaic Law. This is uh, before Abraham uh, and so uh, Job served as a mediator for his family, uh, the priest of the family, if you will, and probably not only for his, but for others. Later on at the end of the book, Job is going to be, or Job's friends that were in error were told to come and have him mediate for them as well. So he was the mediator for them and offered sacrifices for their forgiveness as well. So he becomes a, a priestly role as well. But in this context, we see him as a fatherly role, concerned about them sinning and cursing God in their hearts. And so there needs to be a concern of parents, um, even into adulthood. These were adult children that they were dealing with. So parenting doesn't really end when they turn a certain age. Uh, your role as parent is sustained. Uh, the balance of your, your life or your child's life, whichever one, is lengthier. So we're going to deal with spiritual rebellion. What does it look like? How do I recognize it? And, 
And when I start off saying it's very, very difficult and it might be impossible to recognize, and I say, well, that's not a good start. How am I going to get beyond that? Um, well, there are some things we want to talk about. And so when we go through the, the biblical record and we look at rebellious children, uh, obviously, very plainly, it is with respect to their relationship with mom and dad is a primary concern. Uh, that if they are spiritually desiring to please God, we know immediately that because hopefully we have trained them and instructed them that what's pleasing to God is to be honoring to your father and mother. It is the first commandment of God with a promise. So we've already studied that extensively. We want to bring that into play here and realize that um, while we sometimes take disobedience from our children in a very personal way as against us, we need to displace that at least one place and recognize that when a child is disobeying mom and dad, they are displeasing God. And this is a spiritual matter that needs to be addressed like that. And sometimes you need to take yourself out of that equation a little bit and not take it so personally for your child's sake. You need to help them recognize, and again, we did this, did this extensively when we talked about discipline and instruction under growing in wisdom. We're applying it now here that we are going to get them to understand that these matters are matters between them and God. That we are simply a divinely appointed authority in their life, and they're going to have those the rest of their lives. All right, Because God has set up these authorities in their life. And so all men are under authority, and ultimately we're all under the authority of God himself. And so we recognize the need to be obedient, to honor, to submit, because these are the hallmarks of a great relationship with God, what is pleasing to God, that we submit to him, and then as we have done that in our hearts, it becomes a simple thing to submit to the other authorities that he has established. And you are that authority in their life. Do they have other authorities? Certainly Okay, so your children, how they respond to other authorities matters as well. Um, generally speaking, <laughs> and again, this is generalized. There are always specific exceptions to every generalization. Um, generally speaking, they will honor other authorities better than they'll honor your authority. Why? Yes, familiarity breeds contempt, and they see you every day, and bleh. Other authorities, um, they can show that, well, first of all, other authorities aren't with them day and night. They don't see the struggles, flaws, and, and other things in their lives like they will see in your life. They will not see those things. They won't see the inconsistencies. Um, your children don't have that kind of access to my life. My children did, um, and still somewhat do, but your children don't, and they don't have that access to their science school teacher's life or to uh, another authorities. I don't have that access to uh, my mayor's life or to your boss's life. Um, so you don't have that, but they do to you. And so that whole idea that of, of having some contempt at home, and so um, they'll come out here and they will be, might be submissive to authorities and even better honoring them than mom and dad. And so in their relationship with you, I think is one of the primary places to say, where are you at spiritually? And again, to do that, you need to extract your own feelings of 
self, <laughs> that they, they, they hate you personally and insert in there a place of authority that God has put in their life. And so it's not, don't disobey me. It is, by disobeying me, you're, uh, just take myself, by disobeying the authority that God has put in your life, God put you here. This is your home, and this is the divinely appointed level of authority. It goes husband, wife, as parents, over their children. And we should be representing that to them. And so when we talk about this, I believe that the mom has probably the best position to teach this to your children. What was the primary relation, the most important relationship in your child's life? The relationship between their mom and their dad is the most important relationship in their life. I started out there. I want to keep going there. I'm going to revisit that. So moms, because, I'm not saying dads don't have an opportunity to teach this because they definitely do and they have a responsibility to do it. You have an opportunity to teach this on a different level than dad in the home because dad in the home from a child's eyes, he's the king. He's the, he should be. <laughs> we'll put it like that. Um, when I talk to some children, they go, well, mom really is in charge. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, you have an opportunity to instruct your child by example and by communicating to them a submissive spirit to your husband. That relationship between a husband and wife is emblematic, that is it, is, it is a picture for your children to see what does submission look like. They can't easily, now as they grow older, they will be able to, they can't easily see your submissive relationship to God. They should, and you should bring it out when it shows, when you have to submit to God. and say, well, this is what God's word says, and uh, we're going to be changing things in our house to conform ourselves to God's word. And uh, we do that as a church, we have done that historically in this church. We've examined some things and said, well, that doesn't, isn't in accordance with God's word. We're going to do this. I've done that in our home. Um, my wife and I have done that. We want to communicate that we are submitting to God and his word, that they have authority over us. Well, moms, you have an opportunity to demonstrate this to your children, that you are honoring and submitting the authority of your husband because God put him in your life in that role. And now you're modeling this for them. And again, extract the personality of dad, from the, of your husband, from that equation. It doesn't matter his personality. I am honoring my husband because he has been divinely given this authority. See, their motivation isn't because I like him and we get along. Um, that makes it easier. That's why you should always marry someone you like. It does make it easier to submit to them if you like them. Um, and I encourage that strongly in premarital counseling. I do that. and You should really like your husband. If you, if you're, you're, it helps. Um, but it's not necessary. Um, it would be great if you always agreed with him, but you won't. And uh, 
Mutual agreement is not the motivation for submission. Well, as long as you do what I want you to do, I'll go along with it. Okay, well, if you put that forward as the context for your submission, what are your children going to pick up on? I'll submit to my parents if I agree with them. Well, the real measure of submission is when they, you don't agree. That's the biggest test of submission, is will you conform your will to another person's will? And ultimately, this is the Christian walk that pleases God, not my will, but yours be done. This is what we want to translate into our child's mind, so that they understand, and hopefully into their hearts, um, that they understand this is what submission means. It's about subordinating my will to someone else's will. Now, can you force your child to do your will? Sometimes. Correct? Um, you can do it in a manifold ways, uh, right? You can do it physically. You can physically, you know, when you're teaching a child how to clean up and they look at you, you physically go, and it's a lot of work, but you, you show them, here's, you know, a little toddler, uh, like when they're, don't wait till they're like three, okay? That's too late. They should be doing it at like nine months when they can crawl. When they're crawling, they can learn to clean up. You take them over there and you put their little hands on that little toy and you put it into the toy box. Now that's an incredible amount of extra work for you. I understand that. But parenting is work, remember? <laughs> right? And so you're teaching them, this is what clean up. When you hear me clean up, this is what you do. And then as they get older and they start ignoring you, now they know what to do, they physically do it, we reward it when it's done, we discipline it, we, we, and well, technically reward is also discipline. We, we are punitive when they ignore that, and so, but we can still physically pick them up and say, you're going to clean this up right now, or whatever. So we can use that. As they get older, you can use psychological things, and I see parents trying to psychologically manipulate their children into submission and obedience. Um, and again, when you're in that realm, you're talking about a problem that isn't social. It's not you that they're rebelling against. What you need to address is the spiritual matters of rebellion. That spiritually disobeying or dishonoring your parents is a matter between you and God. And so we're taking it to another level. And what we want to see is submission that is based upon the divinely attributed authority. So you need to model that. You're not going to just submit to your husband when you feel like it, when you... Uh, want something, boy, I see some of that in, you know, and it's even modeled for us in, in Hollywood. Even when I was a kid, you know, dad comes home from a hard day and mom's all dressed up, has this wonderful meal, and, you know, here's your newspaper and sit down and here's your pipe and let's put up your feet and all that. Why? Because she wants something. Okay, well, that's not why you do all those things for your husband. You do all those things not even because you love him. We do those things, we submit to his authority because it pleases God. And that's why we get to Peter and it's like, even if they don't obey the word, even if your husband doesn't follow God's word, without a word you can win him by submitting to him because it's not about him, it's about God and you. Same thing with your children. You have a chance to model that and then teach it your relationship with God is being shown to me by your rebellion against mom or dad or both. 
So this is, the, I believe, one of the primary aspects of understanding spiritual rebellion. Now, how does it manifest itself as it gets later on in their life? Um, there are some big red flags that I see. When your child doesn't want to go to church, when they don't want to read their Bible, when they don't want to be engaged in anything, a spiritual discussion or activity, um, that needs to be addressed, correct? So what are the motives? Now, all of you used to be teenagers, right? All of you adults used to be teenagers. All you parents used to be teenagers. Mrs. Fry's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you can't remember that. <laughs> all, of the, all of you parents used to be preteens and teens. All right, so you tell me, what reasons other than spiritual rebellion are reasons teens are disinterested in spiritual activities? Peer pressure. No one else, oh, why do I have to do this? No one else has to do it. What else? What other reasons are there for not wanting to participate in spiritual activities? Poor guidance. Okay, they may not really understand what's going on. Good. And that's your responsibility is to let them know what's happening. What else? Ah, it might just be a distractive thing. There were lots of times I didn't want to go to church growing up as a 12, 10, 12, 13-year-old. And you know what the biggest problem was? Football. No, it wasn't the Lone Ranger. It was the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I was a big, you know, we lived in Minnesota, Austin, and I was a big, and when they had games, it went late, and it's the fourth quarter, and you have to turn it off to go to church Sunday night. Now, did I have a spiritual problem? It was a trick question. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. Yes, I had an idol in my life. Okay, that is correct. But it was never communicated to me in that fashion. Okay, it, but it wasn't true rebellion. It was an idol that had been set up in my life, and that is a problem. And Israel, that was Israel's problem, wasn't it? Is the syncretism. Well, I want to serve God on the Sabbath, but then I want to serve Baal during the week. And so it's like these uh, universalists that want to worship everybody. So that gives them a really long weekend because Friday is the Muslim day off. Saturday is the, is the Jewish day off and Sunday is a Christian day off. So now they have to have a three-day weekend because they're universalists. Um, that's not technically rebellion, but it, we know it is idolatry that's in their life. And so they have wrong, when they have wrong priorities, they have other things. And so they have their favorite TV show. They have whatever activity that is in conflict with that. And when you add in video games and things like that, and that's why that should be on a timer and it should be done and, and not revisited. And there's no question, no doubt, no finish this game, no finish this show, you know, your time's over and finish because this is going to, Great, if we're letting them have access to that at all. And I'm not a big advocate of that at all because of the evidence of what it does to their brain's wiring of the electrical activity in their brain even during that. So the, give me some other words. Other reasons why that aren't really spiritual rebellion that I don't want to please God, 
that I hate him, but just things that get in the way of them doing what pleases God. School. Okay, that there are other things that seem to be a priority even to you, mom and dad. We'll get to time management here in a little bit. How important is school to mom and dad? All right, don't answer that, mom and dad. Uh, let's see, who can I pick on? They're all looking at me, so that, usually if they don't want to be picked on, they go like this. So Daniel's looking at me. How important is school to your parents, Daniel? Yeah, is it very important or just a little bit important? Very or a little bit? You just stay right in the middle, just important. All right, Elizabeth, you've been gone, so now I'm going to pick on you. How important is your education to your mom and dad? Is it very important, somewhat important, or not very important? Very important, okay. Josh, what do you think? You think your parents want you to be educated and learn? Go to school, read? He's pretty young. I'm asking a young one. Yeah, is it pretty important to them? Do they, does your mom talk about it a lot? You should learn, go to do your schoolwork? Okay. Sometimes in our efforts to give our children instruction on how important their education is, we forget to give them emphasis on how important their spiritual walk is. And this is where we get a reversal of priorities. Because what you spend the most time and energy putting into their life communicates to them that that's more important to them than their spiritual walk. So be careful how your children evaluate that. How important is it that you get to church on time? How important is it that you spend time in God's word every day? How important is it that your children are engaged in all the activities we talked about in the last two, three weeks, that they should be learning in the home? Do they see that as a priority in your life? Or is it just tangential, just a little, little, it rubs up against your life every now and then? So, is it okay? And, and we can insert, instead of school, anything else, right? We could insert um, a sport. We could insert band. We could insert... Uh, anything. And so we, we, we sometimes are the ones that are guilty of that, of causing them to not have enough interest in spiritual things of their relationship with God. Time management. Sometimes a time management issue in their lives. Children are really, really lousy at time management. Did you know that? Really bad. Okay? Because whatever captivates their attention fills their time. Now, we have tried to replace, we have tried to go the world's way. And, and fascinating study over the course of, of multimedia to watch how the Christian communities responded by trying to replace um, other spiritual pursuits with worldly mechanisms and baptizing them as a spiritual pursuit. And so now, instead of our young readers reading biblical narratives, and I really focus on biblical narratives with young readers. Those are stories. So uh, the stories out of, you know, not the letters to the epistles, not the epistles to, letters are epistles, not the letters, uh, no, I don't make them read Romans, but the Gospels, the, um, I don't read the prophets, but we read the narratives of, of the early 
chapters of Daniel. So we hear, read the story. So instead of that, now what do we do? We make it into a cartoon, and we set them in front of the cartoon, and we're doing them a spiritual service by having them watch a cartoon about that narrative. What have you just done? Yeah, and have you ever watched any of those videos? I mean, all the way down to VeggieTales, all the way up to uh, the best attempts. Other than maybe those that are directly, there's a, the, there's a Gospel of Luke project um, that uh, is an evangelism outreach that just has the story of Luke, you know, word by word, uh, but acted out on the screen and no other addition or subtraction to it. How, how accurate are these attempts to teach your children Bible stories through video? How accurate are they to the narratives of Scripture? 50%? Maybe. Um, some do a better job than others. Um, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, one of the guys that developed, I'm just going to pick on VeggieTales because it came out a lot here lately. One of the guys that did VeggieTales, and how many of you grew up on VeggieTales? I know my kids did. Nathan, you had VeggieTales growing up. You didn't have VeggieTales? Oh, you poor guy. Okay. And Schmitz are too old. Tom, you had VeggieTales growing up? Absolutely. Okay. So Melissa, you're a Buckeye. Yeah, okay. What about you, Cody? Did you have VeggieTales growing up? Yeah, VeggieTales. All right. One of the main guys that developed VeggieTales quit VeggieTales. And actually is doing something else. And uh, made this public statement that he was sorry he made any of them. Interesting, isn't it? Because he said they communicated the wrong information. They didn't lead children to salvation. They led them to self-love instead of loving God and hating sin. Kind of an interesting thing, right? You don't hear about that. But the fact is we took the world's mechanism and we tried to insert that to keep our kids' attention and there is a problem there because now we are saying, well, if, if they don't like, if they're bored at church, why are they bored at church? Well, I have pretty strictly told our Sunday school teachers, if you're bringing in videos for your Sunday school lesson, um, you're not going to be a Sunday school teacher here. Because that's not what we're about. We don't use it um, extensively at all. Um, the regular Baptist press is starting to use some of these little blurbs in their, in their uh, junior church material and uh, kind of a summary little five-minute thing. I guess I'm okay with that, little scripts and drawings. But um, I struggle with content. Not even just the, you bringing in that form, but the content. It's not accurate. And we want to communicate God's word accurately to our children. So sometimes it's our own fault um, because we allow these measures and we think we're helping them spiritually when we are just entertaining them with a different branding. And so instead of Dora the Explorer, we have the Christianized branding, uh, but we still have the entertainment. And so what happens when you come to God's word and it's not entertaining? Yeah. Is that rebellion? No, you've conditioned them 
you, the parent, have conditioned them that entertainment is necessary and that's all they should give their attention to. And it destroys creativity. It destroys critical thinking. It, it, it destroys uh, just the capability to think on something for an extended period of time. Attention span. There we go. It destroys those things. And so as a parent, I'm very careful now, and, and even to the point of saying I don't like any modern stuff because of the flashing of scenes and what it does to their brain and, um, and to their attention spans. And so I work hard to say, well, we want to read this, and can we make this gain knowledge? And, but if we have already conditioned them that if it's not entertaining and captivating on a level that we have no idea how captivating that stuff is. Um, and Well, you do. And, and I'm going to give you an example. Time's almost up. Uh, we go to a restaurant. My daughter, when we go to the Wendy's down here, they have a big screen TV. And my daughter says, we can't sit there, Dad. I was like, why? Because of that TV. And I'm like, okay, switch places with me. I'm like, so that I can't see it. All right, this is a, how old are you? 20, 20, you're 23 already? You're the youngest. I'm in trouble. Um, 23-year-old says, if we sit at this table with that TV running, I'll be looking at the TV instead of engaging you. Against her will. How do I know it's against her will? Because she is taking measures to make sure. So we usually sit out in the front area where you can't see the TV. That's how powerful that media is. That's how conditioning it is. And that's how careful you need to be as a parent that we say, well, my child is bored with reading God's word, with Sunday school lessons and stories, and we bring these kids in, and, and they don't have the attention span of a gnat. And we're life club night, and it's hard to get them to think 10, 12 minutes in a row on one theme. Even with my high schoolers, with the the well, middle schoolers, I have middle schoolers really, um, can't get them to think that long in, in a row. Stay on topic, stay on topic, and so because they're conditioned that way. So do not confuse any of these things, and there are other things we could throw out there as well, with rebellion. This is parental issues that you should be addressing, and we've already touched on many of these throughout our study already, but I'm going to keep revisiting. Don't confuse those with rebellion. What does rebellion look like? It is an, a disinterest in that for its own sake. Not because they have been conditioned that it's not entertaining enough. Not because um, of, of other issues going on, but because they simply don't want to hear any of it. They don't want to conform their will to God's will. They do not want to please him. And this is a very difficult thing to get out of your child especially if you go to church every Sunday and you're a Christian home that emphasizes God's word and obedience to it. Why? Because they know that if that's a priority to you and it's something that they will hide it in their hearts. They'll hide that rebellion there. They will not show it. And Job is right in saying they could be cursing God in their hearts while portraying themselves as a great kid. And where does that show itself first, unfortunately? Most often, where does it explode first? 
when you aren't watching. That's where it will bear out. When they go to a school, when they, or if you're homeschooling all the way through high school, when they're off to college, when they're out there and you're not around, and when they can be themselves, then the nature of what's in their heart will come out when they can be themselves and we begin to see what their priority is. And we would see that at college, um, a Christian college even. We would see these kids come out and every indication they're coming out of a Christian home and as an RA and having some responsibilities back then for the other guys in my hall, um, to see them just, some of these freshmen come out and they would get after me. You know why? You're not my mom. You're like my mom or dad. You're like my, my pastor or something. Well, what does that tell you? Where's their heart? Is it in submission? Is it wanting to please God? Or is it saying, I'm finally free of that. I don't want another one in my life. And so, and it came out. Now, I don't know what their home life was like, but they somehow got to cringe. A lot of times those guys only lasted about one semester. Well, back then it was one quarter. We had quarters back then. So they'd last one quarter. Why? Because they got away from mom and dad enough. They then did this to please them. And so then there were problems, students usually through the whole time disciplinarily wise. And then as soon as they told them they didn't like that, and then they went off and did whatever they wanted. So unfortunately, a lot of that rebellion will not be borne out until they're outside of your sphere of influence, direct sphere of influence. So you need to be praying for them. So in this area, we have a real struggle of recognized rebellion. Some of it will come out in their teens, remember, because biblically, the teens are not childhood. They are young adulthood. Biblically, the teen years, um, 12, 13, is when they are identified as uh, a child. That's why Jesus' event at 12 years old in the temple was an important one. That's why their bar mitzvah is at the age of 12. Is because at that age is when biblical understanding of their personal authority uh, starts to really kick in. From there on, it just starts building. And that's why it's a phenomenal statement when it says that Jesus, why would Jesus not ask permission to stay at the temple and engage with the people? Because he was 12. He should be about his father's business at the age of 12. And then Mary and Joseph says, well, you, you, know, you, you had us all worried, right? But the record says something incredible, that Jesus Christ submitted to them from there on until his public ministry started. Well, that's an incredible statement because he didn't need to. Why? Because he was 12. It was time for him to be about his father's business. That was not a statement of rebellion. It was a statement of independence. And now we have... Now we're even talking about making 25-year-old, and we already already have in a several instances. We're not an adult until we're 25 now. Um, where, does, where is that going to end? You know, and we keep extending it out. It was, and um, many cultures have it, 12, 13, 
Uh, the quinceanera is 15, when you become a woman, and, and you're considered an adult woman. Uh, we had sweet 16, right, in, the, in uh, the, the more European background. Sweet 16 meant you're a woman now. Uh, quinceanera, 15, you're a woman. And, and so the concept of uh, being a young adult, an independent adult, is being pushed off to your 20s and is not a biblical concept. But submission to your parents into adulthood is. Modeled by Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ submitted to his family till his public ministry, how old was he? About 30. People thought he was about 30. And so when it says at age 12, he could have been about his father's business independently at that point. Three days he was engaging these men in the temple and astounding them with his questions that they couldn't answer. And then it says, from that point on, he submitted to his parents till he was 30. That is, he could have been actively in ministry that, during that time frame, but he chose to submit himself to his parents in a proper relationship, an honoring relationship, because that's what they desired, and they were his parents. And so he recognized the need to honor them was part of pleasing the Father. It was a spiritual matter. And so that's where we want to drive this home. Now, I've gone long because I want to spend time on your questions. So recognizing rebellion is a tough one. Uh, and I still focus in on the, the law says, honor your father and mother. It is repeated in the New Testament. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Um, and so it, it bears upon them that they need to, uh, that's one of the places you're going to recognize spiritual rebellion. We're not talking about being saved or unsaved, remember. We're talking about whether or not they're interested in pleasing God in their life. Because if they're not interesting, interested in obeying their parents, they're not interested in pleasing God. So we need to, don't take it personally, jump to the spiritual matter for their sake, that they can start evaluating their spiritual condition. Do I want to please God? Because that should be their primary motive in honoring their parents. Not because they like you, they agree with you, or because you're bigger and stronger than they are. It should be because they want to please God. Please teach it that way. Um, at some point in their life, it needs to be taught that way. Okay, questions in, the, in this whole area of spiritual development, of growing in favor with God, that maybe I didn't address, or things popped into your mind over the course of the last few weeks. Um, I've, I always encourage you to write down questions throughout this so that I can address them toward the end. Uh, in this category. We had a great time with, with that. In fact, we took two weeks to cover your questions in the last category of growing um, in stature. So I want to do that the same here with growing in favor with God, with spiritual growth for your children. Any questions? Things you wanted to discuss that I didn't cover or that have come up in your own thoughts or conversations? All right. Well, maybe as we answer some of these in a couple of weeks, it might bring forward some other things. If you have anything in your study and research, uh, I didn't do a lot of the scripture passages this week because we were building it off of all the ones we've been working on and working through um, to 
hopefully see what is rebellion against this. And again, with children, it comes down primarily to your relationship with them, with you, their relationship with you. And, uh, but again, you can't have to take yourself out of that. Good. So if anything else comes up, write them down. I'm more than happy to take my time and work through those rather than uh, just go through my agenda and, and say I've done this job. I want you to feel like your concerns are addressed and some of the challenges that you're facing are um, put up there as well. Okay, so we'll address these in a couple of weeks, and if anything else comes up, we'll, I can extend another week or another. So I'm uh, going to do this patiently. We have one more category. When we get to the last category, it's going to be kind of interesting because we have some weird things we're going to be doing because it's social. So we're going to make social in favor with men. What does that mean? And uh, we're going to have some parameters there and things, but I have to do some advanced planning for some of the things I've planned for doing that together. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll uh, dismiss this evening. Lord God, we do thank you again for the opportunity to come together and to just engage in doing what you have called us to do, to nurture our children, to raise them, to instruct them, to discipline them, to bring them up um, before you. That as we take seriously our role, Lord, we pray for our children to be responsive to it. We pray that we might not uh, set a stumbling block in their life to establish patterns in their life that would inhibit them from wanting to follow you all their days. And Lord, we do pray for the salvation of our children. We know that they need to learn to hate sin, including it in themselves. That this is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. And we pray that um, they might not only know the Bible stories and have a knowledge of that, but a willingness to apply that to their own condition and understand their need for your salvation. And then, Lord, we uh, do pray and continue to pray for the relationship between our husbands and our wives, for moms and dads, that they might not just get along for their children's sake, but that they would generally grow in the roles that you've placed upon them in the home, in their relationship with one another, that it might be uh, a biblical relationship and fulfilling one that is exemplary to the children and one to be emulated by our children. And we pray that uh, you might bring into our children's lives not only um, that example, but other men and women of faith and your word and uh, other influences in them that would draw them uh, near to you and draw them to salvation and then draw them to ch making choices in their life that would, um, incur what would cause them to want to please you. And Lord, we pray for um, our church that we might be consistent not only in teaching a word, but of living it and putting it into practice in our ministries. We pray for our Word of Life coaches, our Sunday school teachers, our nursery workers, our, um, our junior church teachers. Lord, we pray for all of these, and we pray that as we seek to um, together uh, minister to our children, uh, Lord, that whether they choose to reject it or accept it, um, that we might do it with all of our heart and do it by, according to your word. And Lord, that uh, you might just continue to see that even into their adult years should they 
choose to uh, chase after the things of this world or the flesh, and Lord, that you might uh, return them, that you might convict them, that they might remember what they learned here. And Lord, we think of many of these were life children that coming out of homes that have no spiritual uh, interests, that have a great uh, darkness there. And we pray for the light that has come into their life, that they might be responsive to it. Lord, there's so much in their school and their friends and their family that is seeking to pull them away from what they're learning here. We have them for just a short time, once a week, during the school year. Lord, uh, we wonder if it can make that much of a difference. But Lord, we believe your word will not return empty. And we pray that we might be faithful and consistent in pouring it into these children's lives, into not only those within our church, but those within our community and our sphere of influence, that they might uh, receive you and walk uh, with you all their days. We pray not only for the children here, but we do pray for the orphans we support through our children's program. And we thank you for them, and for Desmond, for Mary, for Parida, and Lord, we pray for these young people now, really young, they're adults, and Lord, as they uh, prepare to go out into um, society as, as uh, and full, fully trained or educated adults, and Lord, that you might choose to continue to follow after you, and we pray for for their spiritual walk, for the pastors that are involved and engaged in their lives. And we pray that uh, you might, uh, again, work in them and others that we have supported in the past for all those as well. And we just thank you for good reports we do hear from them from time to time. And we continue to lay them before you. And again, we thank you for your mercy and grace toward us. And we pray that we might uh, desire not only for our children, but for ourselves, that we might grow in favor with you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.